0: Don't none of y'all people that's been at work all day take you all shoes off, though. <laughs> my daddy, we used to bring friends over to our house, and my mom and dad, real gracious hosts, my dad would say, uh, make yourself at home, just remember you ain't. <laughs> you know, uh, when it's a packed house like this, and I've seen friends from all over the county. It's, it's good for us to, to join together in something, you know? So, um, you know, uh, if, if maybe somebody besides you smells or something like that, I mean, it could be smells good. People say, I wear too much cologne. I mean, but uh, if you want to spread it out a little bit, it won't bother me if somebody gets crowded and you want to move to the choir loft. Uh, right now, these folks just feel like outcasts. <laughs> So <laughs> did you say amen? <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> um let's let's do something we done the other night. I just feel like we need to. Let's all stand up, let's grab hands, join together. Let's remember why we're in this house together and y'all sing loud enough to drown me out and I, I will love you for it. You ready? God is so good, God is so good, God is so good, He's so good to me, He does what? He answers prayer. He answers prayer. He answers prayer. He's so good to me. So what do we say in response? Say it, church. I love him so. I love him so. I so He's so good to me. Rejoice in the Lord, church. Rejoice in the Lord. Amen. Amen. I uh, I am just tickled to death to have some McGee's Mill folks with me tonight. My two of my sisters off my not just my neighborhood, but my road. Somebody walked up to him and said, uh, uh, is he, is he, was he mean when he was, they said, yeah, (laughs) that don't help a brother's reputation at all. I'm delighted to have y'all here. Really just love you. Love y'all. Really good to have my family with me. If you have your Bibles, find Luke chapter number 10. I sometimes wonder, wouldn't I do better? If Herbert hadn't called to ask me would I come this week last week, it seems like the more time I have to prepare, the harder it is uh I prepared twenty one messages and I only had uh six times to preach or well, seven times, but twice on sunday morning and and now I'm getting down to the end and it's and it's really hard to decide and and to hear from the Lord and I even had to come aside this afternoon. I just, there seemed to be so much noise. Just, just, I mean, just in my office, nobody was bothering me. It just seemed to be so much noise, doors opening and shutting and, and, and things like that, that I had to come aside and I had to really seek the Lord's face. And, and, I, and even as I was driving here, I had, you know, I often call my sermons my, my six-shooters. And I had two in the holster. (laughs) And then I I said, uh, Lord, you really got to narrow this down. And I say that because I want to encourage you. And what I mean to say by it all is I think God has a lot he wants to say. Not not that I'm anybody to deliver it. Amen? I mean, really. I just think he, he wants to talk to us. He loves us so much. He sees us hurting. He sees us struggling. He sees us lazy. He sees us sinful. He just sees us. He just wants to talk to us. So I'm going to have to trust tonight that uh, as much as I battle today, God knows better than I do. Amen? I wanted to preach a little bit about that victorious Jesus, that one with that bloody sword over in Revelation. I, I wanted to preach about that coming Jesus, that one that they prophesied about. I, I wanted to teach about that that. Jesus on the cross, because he's just so precious to me. I wanted to t- t- teach about that risen Jesus. I-, I wanted to teach about the Jesus in the garden. When they said, it- it's somebody coming, and that he's going to stamp out the head of the enemy. I-, I wanted to preach about that Jesus we see out in the wilderness when Moses put that snake up on that stick. It just seems like everywhere I turn, from the table of contents to the maps... There's this Jesus I want to share. So to get down to this Jesus tonight was a struggle for me, and I know you guys can appreciate it. Perhaps I should start y'all out with a story. Tell you a story about my favorite dog. Some fella told me tonight that uh, he bought two dogs off of my granddaddy, and if he he didn't buy this one because this some. Some fella come from a long ways away and bought this dog I'm going to tell you about. But my granddaddy had Walker deer dogs. Any of y'all men or women, boys or girls ever have walk deer dogs? Okay, don't act like you're that sophisticated. You know you ain't. <laughs> and uh, any, any, of you, any of y'all familiar with the term giving mouth? This don't mean making out. Don't nobody <laughs> think I'm talking. It's, it's how the dog sounds off when he's on the trail. Amen? Well, my granddaddy advertised a dog, and all he said, best walker deer dog ever been raised, $1,500. Now, that was in 1975 when $1,500 would have been what, like five grand? Nobody answered the ad for a long time. One guy called and said, I don't believe it. I don't believe it's a dog alive worth that much. Let me come down and see him. My granddaddy said, sure, you come on down and see him. Well, he'd come down, and they went down to the pen, and there was this fine-looking dog. One of them dogs, you could just touch his chin, you know, and he'd just stand up. Purdy. He would have been on Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. <laughs> just a good-looking dog. Rednecks would have pinned him up in shops. Looks don't matter none when they're when, when they after a deal, does it? Yeah. So he says, "Can we drive him out and let him run?" My granita said, "Yeah, let's get him." And he had this old lime green Ford F one hundred, ugly truck, but it run good. Throwed that dog over in the back, went around the corner down that road that cuts over from between Alton, Virginia, and McGee's Mill, and went down there on one of the Wilkins farms and dropped the tailgate before his front paws hit the ground. <laughs> that dude was on something. My grandmother said, listen, that dog knows how to adjust. When he starts getting farther away, he'll raise his voice so you don't lose him. That man said, ain't no such a thing. He said, yeah. Started getting faint. He said, see, that dog don't raise his voice. But sure enough, just as soon as he said it, he said, yeah, that dog won't even lose a trail if a deer crosses a river. Man said, ain't no dog alive to chase a deer across a river. He said, yes, he can. Just wait. Sure enough, got down the Heiko River, and you hear the dog. He said, "Yeah, the wind gets up. That dog knows how to adjust for the wind." Man said, "Ain't no way. No dog know how to adjust for the wind." Sure enough, five miles out, wind blowing. You hear him. All of a sudden, he went silent two minutes and five and seven minutes and nine and the man said that dog's a fake he's lost the trail he said that you know my granita said dog ain't never lost a trail he's chased some deals all the way to the dinner table he's so good (laughs) 11 minutes 13 minutes go by dog ain't made a sound man says oh this is all a trick i wouldn't give you 15 dollars for the thing not less 1500 what are you trying to pull on me and the fella said, my granddaddy said, just wait a minute, fella. Fifteen minutes gone by. All of a sudden, burr, burr, you could hear him clear as a bell. He was on the other side of Timberlake and you can still hear him. <laughs> he says, Man, that dog is good. What happened to him? Why did he go quiet so long? He said, Oh, that dog was running on posted land. Some of y'all get somebody to explain that to y'all later. (laughs) I didn't go to none of them big schools. That's all the stories I know. (laughs) They got dogs like that down in South Carolina. Yep. Run through the swamp, don't they? Yeah. Come out the side with an alligator crocodile collar. Yeah. You know, I tell you them crazy stories, but there's something to it. I think God is looking for that believer that's running when nobody else thinks they can. When against all odds, they still going. When against all odds, they on display. When against all odds, they still giving mouth. When everything's against them and they still tracking. When it seems like it's time to give up, when everybody thinks they're done in, you still hear them praising Jesus. I want to tell you about one of them believers tonight. One of them believers that knows about their priorities and has them in order and they get the biggest com, uh, commendation that anybody could ever get. Jesus approves of them. If you have your Bibles. I want to look at five little old verses over in Luke chapter number 10, beginning at verse number 38 again. I'm not real technical. I'm just going to give you what I got. Jesus, Amen. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Hold on right there. Now, don't y'all act all pious and religious on me, okay? How many of y'all have seen Medea? Wouldn't you like to see Medea play in this role of Martha? I would. I just think. That one lady's got all the tapes. She's just still laughing. I mean, DVDs, excuse me. Look at what she says. She says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Now catch this, church, but one thing is necessary. Who heard that? What color was the letters in your Bible? Who said it? Better pay attention. One thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Father God, thank you for the gift of joy. Thank you that the way you even designed us, it takes nearly our whole face to produce a frown, but it only takes a couple some, couple muscles to get a smile going. Thank you that you created us to be creatures of joy, designed to walk with an infinite God, designed to know a God who knows it all, designed to be controlled by a God who can do it all, designed to be humbled by God who's over it all. You've designed us to walk with you. And as contrary as our enemy wants that to feel to us, it is natural. It's sin that's unnatural. It's selfishness that is unnatural. It is putting other things before you that is unnatural. And the condemnation on our flesh is that it runs from you. The commendation to you is that you run after us. So Lord, let the people of God hear you tonight. Let us not be playing hide and go seek. <laughs> let us come and sit at your feet and willingly hear what you might have to say to us. In Jesus I pray, amen. What a familiar story, but so familiar indeed that we, we probably missed some of the some of the beautiful and subtle points in it. If, if any of y'all grew up uh, out in the rural areas where you ever had a garden or you ever had tobacco or planted corn or anything, you, you really get it when Jesus tells you to keep your hand to the plow, don't you? You understand that. My, my daddy was famous for what I call tobacco stick beatings. Anybody ever had one of them? Yeah, man. Yeah, man. I think sometimes that's how he tested sticks, see if they make it through the season. <laughs> well, I had just started plowing. Any, any of y'all remember this? When you just started being on the track and you'd have to grab your steering wheel and pull up on the, to the pedals. Anybody remember that? Yeah, man. And, and, and I was nervous about messing up. And my, my older brother said, my oldest brother said, look, man, just, just look down and, and, and keep the plow on the right side. Love the plants. Keep them on the right side of the plant. He says, look up every once in a while, but don't look back ever. Well, you know, you mow grass, right? I hate mowing grass, but the most fun thing about mowing the grass is seeing what you mowed, ain't it? <laughs> Feels like you're giving the yard a a crew cut. <laughs> so I, I had to do it, man. You know, it's this, this, this dirt. There's one brown color, you know, or, or red around here, some of it, right? And then... You run through that, and all of a sudden, it's really brown or really red. You got to look back. Well, I, I got to looking back, and then I got to the end of the row, and my daddy was down. There and I could tell he was mad, but I couldn't tell about what. I, I put a scenario in my mind. I said, oh, this bike ain't big enough. He's, he's out here looking at it. I agree with him. It ain't big enough. Man, that dude pulled a six-foot-long tobacco stick out of his watch pocket. I don't know where that thing come from. And he reached up on that farm all and whacked me with it. What are you doing? I said, I'm playing biker. What are you doing? He made me get down off track. track. He said, turn around and look You, I done crossed two rows and never even knew. <laughs> not, not one. I was, I was two rows over. Doesn't that just describe our lives a lot of times? I mean, uh, you, you just feel good about everything. And somehow, something or another will make you turn around and take a good hard look. And, and you'll realize, man, whoa, I'm off track. I, I, I've blown it here. Whoa, whoa. You know, sometimes God chastens us, doesn't he? I love it that the scripture says he chastens whom he loves. If God gets on your britches with conviction or something, it's because he loves you. And all he, will, all he wants to do is to put you in the road that finds finds you in his favor. Oh Martha here, it wasn't that she was doing bad, just like me in that tobacco field. It wasn't like I done stopped plowing and was down in the creek catching crawdads. It wasn't like I done run off somewhere and, you know, ruined the whole family. I, I was just over here plowing like I was supposed to, but plowing in the wrong place. If you're from Person County, you don't even have to have ever plowed. You've seen things get plowed. You get what I'm talking about. This is what's going on with Martha. And church, I think what God has called me to say to y'all tonight is this what's going on with some of y'all. You're plowing for everything you're worth but in the wrong row. Could you ever imagine that your good works could be the very thing that's blocking you from revival? How in the world could that be? Well, Martha wasn't a prostitute, amen? She wasn't running a ball. She, She wasn't... Selling, uh, you know, uh, lottery tickets in the street or something. She, hadn't, she wasn't a dope dealer. She was wanting to serve Jesus. She was wanting to prepare a meal for Jesus, and Jesus had an entourage, amen? Not just Jesus, but she wanted to serve Jesus' people. But somehow that got her off track. It's some saint in here that knows exactly what I'm talking about. Sometimes the thing you used to love serving the Lord has now become the biggest burden on you. And you can't even find where he is in the middle of all the stuff you're doing for him. Well, I want to tell you tonight that I believe God can correct that. I believe he will correct that. But I have a few little words for you. What we need to do is make room for Jesus. Martha had room for pots and pans. Martha had room for food to feed a small army. Martha had room for more people in her work. But she didn't have room at the feet of Jesus. And it wasn't because it wasn't there. It was because she hadn't chosen The Bible says we should be still and know that God is God. Amen? How many of us practice that? I mean, really. How many of you have a practice of personal worship? And I don't, and listen, you're going to be mad, but I don't count riding in your car to work listening to K-Love or the Gaithers. I know somebody sitting here thinking, like, yeah, every morning, preacher. Well, if, if, if you was free-hearted before the Lord, you'd be under a semi-truck. You need to get somewhere where the only thing on your mind and the only thing on your heart is Jesus. Why? So you can please me? No. So you can mark it off on your checklist of, i done my religious stuff? No. Because he designed you to fellowship with him. And without that fellowship, you're always going to have an empty hole. And I don't care if you own 17 committees. God is not impressed with your titles. Whenever you wonder how good God loves your committee, see if you can find it in the New Testament church according to scriptures. Did nobody get that? Whenever you're impressed with your committee... (laughs) See if you can find it in the New Testament church according to the Scriptures. Y'all just don't want me to say it again. You still don't believe me. See, it ain't even supposed to be a fellowship committee. You know why? And I don't even know if y'all have one. I really don't, brother. I, I hadn't looked at anything but that plate of food, and if you didn't eat, it's because I ate twice. I'm sorry. It's my favorite meal. we'd have had squash, I'd have, I'd have thought the rapture should come right after I finished I don't know if y'all have a fellowship committee, but show me the fellowship committee in the scriptures. You know why you won't find it? Because every believer, fellowship means a shared life. Every believer is supposed to be so filled with the spirit, we can't do nothing but give it over. Give it back to God in worship and give it to others in good works. You shouldn't have to have a fellowship committee of folks that come up with ideas of things y'all ought to do together to like each other more. A building grounds. If God gave you the eyeballs to see it's broke, He's giving you the hands to fix it. Mm-hmm. We should need this stuff, right? Okay, you don't believe me, but it's all right. Some people get so busy that they miss the Lord. We need to make room for Him. Let me ask you this: Is your home open to Jesus? I mean, a lot of people think, you know, hey, it's fine. Jesus, come on in. Hey, come on in. But what if Jesus sit and watched TV with you? Would he like all your programs? What if he cruised the internet with you? Why y'all so quiet? <laughs> Do you think he would gossip about your neighbors when you sit on the porch together? Anybody mad yet? Think about all the places where Jesus is accepted but not really worship. What do they swear on in the courthouse when you take your oath? But does anybody really worship him there? If they did, it wouldn't be the place that's symbolic of Christian divorce. Think about the schools. It's okay to bring Jesus to school. Just don't let him do nothing public. Could you ever imagine taking Jesus somewhere and saying, Jesus, you sit down. You said, Peter tried that one time, didn't he? Remember that story? He said, uh, "He, he said, uh, now Jesus, don't you go around talking about being killed or nothing like that. What did Jesus say to him? Get thee behind me, Satan. Could you imagine you going somewhere and being the boss of Jesus? Tell your story, true story. Not going to call out the name of the company. They gone out of our town. But I, I used to be a maintenance man at a company and and, uh, I mean, it ain't, it ain't that I'm a great witness. Just when Jesus got a hold to me, it was the best thing I could talk about. You know, I like, I like, I like sports, you know, and I like fishing. I like hunting. But man, when I met Jesus, he was better than all that stuff. That's just all I want to talk. That's still all I want to talk about. Friend asked me not too long ago, is, is Jesus the only thing you know? I said, no, it's just the best thing I know. <laughs> I told you all night when I find a note that sounds good, I pluck on it till somebody dances. So at work, I always carried, uh, some of y'all might remember these, these little eternal life tracks, the ones with the blue covers. I had done went in Lifeway life way, and, 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 and I was making those things. I was such a dummy. I didn't know things like that even existed. I knew those, those chick publications existed, but some of them kind of hard sometimes. And I wanted something that showed the beautiful grace of God, and I was making them with postcards, you know, with uh, index cards. I went in the Christian bookstore, and you could buy the things. I ordered like 700. <laughs> Miss uh, Bale, uh, what was her name? Miss, yeah, Miss Bale Booth says, do you plan on sharing it with this many? And I said, well, well, how many people is in Person County? And you think I'm kidding. I was just that naive. Really was. And so I carried them in my pocket. I had them in my tool book box. We rode around these tricycles with these big baskets on them. and You put your bucket of tools in the back of them. I had them stuck in every open pocket of my bucket. And if I went to work on your machine, I'd start talking to you about Jesus. Well, because I thought you need him any more than I did. I think right now I need him more than anybody in this room. And I ain't kidding you. Especially right now. Well, I'd been working at this place a while, and I was expecting a promotion. So at the end of my shift, early one morning, it was night shift, when they called my name, I said, oh, boy, yeah, yeah. I'm getting ready to be somebody. Yeah, I'm getting ready to get me some money. Cha-ching. Well, when I walked in the door, they had the guy, the big man of the of that facility and the big man of, of all the maintenance men from everywhere this company had a location. He was sitting there. My boss was sitting there and the human resource guy. Now, human resource guys generally don't meet with you unless something bad is going on. And I said, uh-oh. Just kind of to myself, hey, boys, how y'all doing? They said, well, good, but let's get to the point. You got to stop talking about God at work. You got to stop it. And every one of them had a few words. You got to stop talking about God at work. You got to stop talking about God. And they says, now, what do you have to say for yourself? I reached in my pocket, and by the grace of God, I had four eternal life tracks. I stood up and handed each one of them a track. They said, if you don't stop, you're fired. I didn't say nothing. I didn't say a word. I went home, and I hadn't been married long. And, and, and you know, wives that you've been married to a long time don't like it when husbands lose jobs. Amen? But wives you just got married to, they really don't like it. See now, if I got fired, I wouldn't worry. I could live off my side meat for three months. <laughs> yeah, I to I didn't have it then. I didn't have a storehouse, you know what I mean? I wouldn't say I was worried, but I, I did made my stand. Amen, Anybody know what I'm talking about? I didn't got where I was going, and I was like, "Oh Martin Luther, here I stand. I can do nothing else. I can't turn my back on Jesus, because he didn't turn his back on me. Well, you know what? I went back to work and nobody ever said a word. Nobody ever said a word. I think sometimes, I think sometimes Jesus is welcome in a lot of places until he starts doing stuff. The Doobie Brothers had a song. Anybody remember it? Jesus is just all right. Oh, yeah. Nobody minds Jesus until he starts acting up. And you just can't tell Jesus what to do. I think this is the primary reason the average believer is scared to let him have his way. Because you don't get to be the boss of him. You can't say, God, I don't really want to talk to this person about you. I don't really want to serve this person. Look at them. They don't look very servicey. You ever noticed all the decisions we make for Jesus all the time? I ain't giving no homeless people nothing. they just out there trying to get some money. Jesus would have been all up amongst them. I ain't messing with them. They just just drank all the time. Jesus would have been all up amongst them. I ain't messing with them politicians. They're a bunch of liars. Jesus would have been all up amongst them. We've read the New Testament. You're good people. You're church people. You know the stories. And you know that if Jesus gets to run in your life, he's going to put you places that, frankly, aren't real comfortable. It's easier just to do stuff. It's easier to come up with our ideas and hope he'll be okay with them. Would you believe me if I said our good works could be the very thing blocking revival? What if you cut off all the music and all the eating at a Baptist? Well, we ain't going to go that far. Herbert, I've been asking God, could we start slowing when we feel spiritual? You know, you fast, you don't eat nothing. I figure if we start slowing, we could eat twice as much. (laughs) He hadn't agreed to it yet, but I'm working on it. What would happen if you came in here on a Sunday morning for six months and you fasted and prayed? What if for a whole month, Your response to the difficulty of ministry and life meant that you fasted and prayed for 40 solid days. That's the disturbing thing about Jesus' life. When we sit down at his feet, he might tell us to get radical. The thing is, Jesus was not a rebel. He was not a revolutionary. He was not a radical. He was the most normal thing in the universe. He obeyed the Father perfectly. What makes him seem like a radical and a revolutionary and a rebel was that his obedience runs so contrary to our sinfulness that we think he's different. Actually, he's the only one right. He's the only one right. We'll talk about the times when King David or Joseph or the Apostle Paul or John the Revelator or somebody did something godly, and we'll go, "Woo! look at that, wow. They had an episode. Jesus has had an existence of righteousness. I'd like to have some episodes, amen? I spent 14, 15 months at Florence Avenue Baptist Church, and every Sunday, I'd get up and I'd ask the same question, same series of questions. What would it look like if the Holy Spirit ran your life? What would it look like if the Holy Spirit was in charge of your house? What would it look like if the Holy Spirit was in charge of this entire congregation? Now, you've seen the crazy stuff the Spirit does. Spirit testifies so strongly that people think folks is drunk. He's wild. So what would it look like if he ran your life? Hmm. Hmm. What would it look like if Jesus was the decision maker about your free time? What would it look like if Jesus dictated the conversation you had with your children? I always used to laugh. I don't know who I heard say this, but I latched onto it and claimed it. But they say we can't we can't wait for children when they're little babies to, to 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 begin walking and talking and then for the next twenty years all we do is tell them to hush up and sit down. <laughs> we just hold up Say mama, say mama. Then I and you all y'all mamas know it. You'll get to this point where if you say my name one more time. <laughs> I mean sometimes you better watch what you ask for. I mean, do you want revival? Are you ready for what it'll bring? Really? Really? You don't get to be the boss no more. Some of your tightly guarded riches, both in the church and in your bank account, God gonna get in the middle of them because it's starving children. It's lost people. There's broken things that needs and he's gonna get into your free time. There's people that he just wants to use you to love on. Yeah, this is a mess, ain't it? The Pharisees brought Jesus into their home so they could keep an eye on him. I am fearful that many of us keep Jesus out of our homes because we're scared he's going to keep an eye on us. Oh, me or amen. See, Martha had Jesus in the house, didn't she? It's real clear. He was in her house. But she was missing him. Some of us spend hundreds of dollars down at Lifeway buying uh, pictures of mountains and quaint country cottages and crosses and little birds and Bible verses. But the Bible would rush shut if it depended on us to read it there. Our knees ain't hit the carpet since the last time one of our kids spilt milk on it. You know, I'm right. I know it's right in my life from time to time. And I'll just be honest with you. There's times in my life where I'm surrounded in my vocation with Jesus and I still miss him. I ain't saying I'm no better than you. I'm just confessing that it's a reality in my life. What happens when we do our duties in the name of Jesus? But we don't really meet him in the middle of those duties. Look at verse 40. He tells us that Martha was distracted. Distracted by what? Was she distracted by American Idol, the next bachelor? Was she distracted by her her new iPhone? Was she distracted by uh, her other hobby? You know, Martha had a big hobby. She was also a worrier. You can find that over in John. Some of y'all have that as your number one hobby. Draw up scenarios just to worry about them. I'm glad I'm dumb. Dumb people don't really worry about things. We ain't smart enough to think that far ahead. (laughs) So nice. She was distracted by what, church? What? Tell me. Much Much serving. Boy, this is a message to the church, isn't it? This ain't, a message, this ain't a message to the, 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 the crowd down at Jabal, is it? It's just folks who are distracted by good things. Good works are blocking out better realities. If you go read Matthew chapter 7, you'll find out that there you can do the right things with the wrong heart. If you were to go study the life of King Saul, the first king of Israel, you'll find out that sometimes you can do the right things the wrong way. He offered sacrifice. That won't his job. Too many people, too many mamas today are forced to play the role of daddy because daddy abdicates his calling. Mamas are forced to do the right thing when it ain't even their job. And they so bundled up being mama and daddy and provider and school teacher and everything that a lot of times they ain't got no room to worship Jesus. But what is a mama prone to do? Let me take on two more jobs at church. Because women work ten times harder than men. (laughs) Supposed to let the fellas answer that one, ladies. They also complain ten times as much. Herbert can revival in tonight <laughs> <laughs> I don't know when it's going to start if, if you back up a little bit in Luke chapter 10 if you were looking to parable of the good Samaritan it's one of the most ironic things you'll ever see right there who walks by the good Samaritan the priest why because if he gets blood on his hands he can't perform his duties his religion blocks him from acting in compassion Oh, junk. This might be a theme. What about the scribes? The scribes, if they helped a man, they would be ceremonially unclean and not qualified to copy the scriptures according to man's tradition. So who helped him? The guy that won't worry about nothing but helping folks? And he was a dirty old Samaritan. No, he wasn't. He was a good man. Religious duties sometimes block us from spiritual favor. We're so busy doing what we've always been told to do that we haven't taken the time to look in to what God is telling us to do. We've taken so many cues from man that we don't hear God. We've become so powerful at doing in the flesh by organization things that we couldn't help but do by the power of the spirit if we just let him have control. We can run some stuff, man. <laughs> uh, this week, I got a thing from Lifeway asking me would I take part in a church planter survey? Well, I like taking surveys. Sometimes they'll give you a coupon at the end. Man, that thing I've been doing that thing is long. I read a whole set of encyclopedias didn't take as long. I got to a part though it wanted to know. And you might think I'm kidding. He says, he wanted to know what kind of church planting strategy we use that our church plant. And they had probably, I didn't count them, like 50 choices. I had never heard of none of them. So, it said, other. I checked, I checked other. And then he says, if you said other, please explain. <laughs> I put one, Holy Spirit. Two, the New Testament. Three, the Old Testament before i ask my wife <laughs> i'm not kidding i really did right there i mean this in the best way okay i want y'all to hear this in a, in a compliment okay don't let the devil give it to no woman the wrong way i'm off my wife's head and she is always my heart i'm not saying the woman don't think and i'm saying not saying i never feel i'm just saying god really did a good job of putting us together I just really praise the Lord for it. So when I wrote that, I was serious, because I just want to run, stampede over everything. My wife, she's like, hold on, honey. <laughs> Whoa, boy. <laughs> I like that part of that song, didn't y'all? <laughs> Side sermon. Go to more churches than any pastor around here. You better be glad for every fingerprint, footprint, everything a child breaks, every sound they make, every time they go to the bathroom, every laugh, every song they mess up. You better praise Jesus for it because you wouldn't believe how many churches have zero children in them. If you come in here tomorrow and find a footprint about that big on the ceiling, thank God for it. I mean, but, you know, really, really, how many of us, we just got all this stuff going on? We're doing all kinds of stuff, but where's the power of God? Where's the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Where's the nature of Christ? Told you I was going to pick on women this week, because I will. Pick on everybody. You know, how many of y'all go, pretty much go to Sunday school? I say you go to Sunday school if you go once a month. Right? Okay. Any of y'all, any of y'all in the all-ladies class? All right, don't listen to this because y'all start some trouble. <laughs> Any of y'all in the class where they got girls and boys together? Okay, now it cracks me up. I didn't grow up in church, and so I was learning how to do everything, you know. And my first Sunday school teacher was a lady, and she was awesome. Amen, honey? More than her first Sunday school was my first Sunday school teacher. She was just awesome, man. And, but it cracked me up. You know, I just come in the room and sit down, and I usually put my elbows on my knees and just kind of stare at the floor until something gets going. Well, I started watching everybody, because I didn't know how I was supposed to act in Sunday school. You know, I'm 25 years old, and I don't know what to do. Just like at communion. You need to ask me my favorite communion story sometimes. I had to watch others. What are you supposed to do? How many of them glasses of wine do you get? Is there a limit? <laughs> Ready, sit. <laughs> it was grape juice, <laughs> Got, I want to raise my hand. Anybody got any butter? It's, this is kind of dry. This is bread. I mean, <laughs> so I watch people. You know, any, does anybody know what I mean? You come into church as an adult, right? I didn't know. You think it's funny. It is, but I just didn't know. Well, I started watching people. And if a guy walked in the room, all the guys would be like, hey, Michael, how you doing? And the women be like, hey, Michael, how you doing? But if it was a woman, see if you catch this, the other women would do this. She walk in the door and they go. In less than a tenth of a second, they done went from her hat to her shoes. Mmm, mmm. That's what inside they're going. Mmm. I oh, do ask, hey. They get up, hug you. How you doing? Y'all know, y'all, them all ladies classes, if y'all start paying attention, it's going to be some squabbles in there. I know she don't think those shoes go with that belt. And we're like, who did your hair? Where'd you get that blouse? And, uh, you know, I always wanted to do translations. You didn't pay too much for that, did you? (laughs) The early church. And I think this was the model God intended for the church to maintain forever. The early church, if you go to Acts chapter 2 and look at it sometime, they had some focus. They had some focus together. They wanted to be centered and filled, centered on Jesus, filled by the Spirit. And then their disciplines that they celebrated and pursued together was they were in the Word together constantly. They fellowshiped without a committee, which is to say they shared their life. See, poor people like it when I start talking about sharing your life. Rich people go, wait a minute. <laughs> they got to be rules. <laughs> but what about the people who are poor in spirit and the people who are rich in spirit? What about the things that got nothing to do with money? They prayed. Where is that in the life of the church today? Now, I ain't passing judgment on nobody, but 650, I don't know what y'all are doing, but it ought to be more of you men in this prayer room. I bet you we have some more night, won't we? Well, I've been busy, probably, but I'll be there tomorrow night. And they broke bread. Why did they put a, such an emphasis on breaking bread? Why? Because Jesus said, every time you do this, what? They stayed focused on the cross, focused on the word, focused on the thing that bound them together, that they shared their lives, and they stayed focused on God by being in prayer. You say, what has all this got to do with Mary? I'm just trying to illustrate How you can do all kinds of stuff for God, but miss him right in the middle of it. So you get down to the end of this thing, and this is the end of this thing. Dr. Luke, who who the Holy Spirit used to give us the gospel according to Luke, under the Spirit's leadership, if you go back to verse 25 in this, and I wish y'all would one second, all the way back up to verse 25. You see, it says, "...that behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test." Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Isn't that question, just isn't it on the table in the New Testament? And, and i say to the believers, you say, I'm saved. Praise God. I made a commitment and I said stuff and I got in the water. I got to be saved, right? What does this got to do with me? How many of y'all feel, how many of you guys know both in knowledge and in experience the dynamic life that God wants for you? Maybe your question is not, how do I inherit eternal life? Maybe your question is, how do I enjoy eternal life? How do I enjoy the gifts been given to me? This question's on the table, the parable of the Good Samaritan, Mary and Martha. When it gets down to chapter number 11, these guys have been watching Jesus pray, and the whole reason they said, "Lord, teach us to pray." because when they talked to God, it was just boom amen. But when He talked to God, there was something there that they wanted. What has this got to do with Martha? Martha was the modern-day North Carolina church. On her best day busy and on her best day distracted. But what does Jesus tell us, church? What's he say? There's one necessary thing. Or maybe your translation says one needful thing. One necessary thing. What is it? To fall at the feet of Jesus. And I know some of y'all going, wait a minute, I know Jesus died. I know he died for my sins. I know he was buried. I know he was resurrected. And I know people saw him alive. But he ascended. He's not here for me to fall at his feet. Yes, he is. Don't ever forget he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. But more importantly, the question for the New Testament believer is do we surrender to the Holy Spirit? The Bible tells us he leads us into all truth. The Bible tells us he gives us all gifts. The Bible tells us he gives us strength and power and might. The Bible even tells us that the Holy Spirit is the one that fuels us to have testimony. Jesus even said, when I go, I'll send another. He even told his father, I got to go. So they fell at Jesus' feet because God was walking around in the flesh. But Jesus has fallen into a believer's heart. Proverbs four twenty three says, guard your heart, for from it flows, some translations say, the wellspring of life. Other translations say the issues of life. Who understands what I'm saying today? Guard your heart. Why? Because that's where God wants to live, and that's where distractions want to meet him, so that you are disrupted. So what do we need tonight? We need to hear from Jesus when he would say to us, You're distracted by many things, but only one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary, just one thing. And that tonight is is the thing that all of us need to do. And that's surrender. Some of y'all think I'm going to tell you. Now go out tomorrow and witness to ten people, praise God. Join the committee, praise God. Now, God might lead you to do some of that stuff and praise God. But what He's telling you to do more than anything is be still and know He's God. Repent of the distractions. Worship Him. You worship Him. I would worship Him, preacher, but I can't sing. I want nobody singing in that living room. They had humbled themselves before Him. That's the best worship of all. Believer, are you distracted? And only God knows what your distraction is. Timbo's dawn. Maybe the floodgates of of the supply of God would open up tonight. If some of y'all would just make the confession that I'm so busy. I ain't got time for God. I'm chasing my children and my hobbies and my job. And I'm doing stuff at church and I'm at church. But I ain't seen him in a while. Maybe your confession is just this. Boy, I need. Let's pray. Lord, it feels contrary to us that doing nothing could equal something. But falling down at your feet and waiting for you to speak is something. Letting you renew our minds, renew our energies, letting you birth new things in us, that is something. But we can never get what we refuse to receive. The Lord calls believers tonight to see clearly what their hands are full of and let go of everything that distracts them from their hearts being full of you. In Jesus I pray, amen. Brother Herbert.